This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you in part by Rosedale Communications, offering author-centric literary consulting, writing, and editing services to help you capture your voice, craft your message, edit your content, and publish your completed manuscript for business or ministry online at craftingyourmessage.com. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number four him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, this is John Couch, This Day Ministries. We are so glad to be here with you. No, I'm not Jim, and I'm definitely not Martha. But I'll tell you what, we're excited to be here. Jim and Martha are taking some well-deserved time off, and we love Jesus. And I'll tell you what, we're fired up to be here today because we believe the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords uh, wants to make much of himself during this program. This Day Ministries, I get asked all the time, well, what do you do? And I respond, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, uh, I'm just teasing. We love the Lord. And what do I do? Uh, My goal, my passionate goal is to take church attenders and turn them into disciples of Jesus Christ that make disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, it's really three phases. Uh, We have a pulpit ministry, a preaching ministry. I'm a traveling evangelist and preacher, and I go wherever God opens doors to proclaim his holy truth. Uh, We take those messages, they get edited and put on the radio. And then uh, thirdly is the lost D word. It's discipleship. And I'll tell you what, I am so passionate about it. And what we do in that realm is we reach men, number one. Number two, we go into businesses and we lead discipleship groups in the workplace. Thirdly, uh, we really pour into students, all ages of students, but college students in particular love to pour into college students. And then lastly, just love to reach out to hurting, discouraged pastors, because we know if we truly disciple our pastors, I know that sounds strange, but if we disciple and encourage and come alongside our pastors, I'll tell you what, our churches will change. And I believe we can get this thing turned around here in the United States of America. And so it's a joy to be here. You can find more about me and uh, the ministry, This Day Ministries at www.thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. And would love for you uh, to connect with us in that regard. Well, we're excited to be here because uh, I work for Jesus and I pray you do too. And I got a great guest with me today. Uh, Name is Bob Spence. Bob, welcome to the program today, brother. Thank you, John. Glad to be here with you. It is so good to have guys like Bob in the trench. Uh, Bob loves Jesus more than life itself. He's got an incredible testimony, and he loves to go into the workplace. Matter of fact, he works with an organization called Convene, great organization that's out there on the front lines, waving the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Bob, just take a moment here. Tell us about Convene, if you would. Uh, Convene consists of groups of CEOs, business owners, company presidents, and there's groups in many of the states in the country. We are just now opening our first group in Florida. 
And the group consists of 12 to 16 members, men and women, who have a heart for Jesus. And we're there to help and equip them to not only grow their business, which we focus on, but also to grow the kingdom. Amen. I'll tell you what, I love it because uh, uh, Bob resonates with me, just like Jim and Martha. We all believe in kingdom work, number one, but we believe in intentionality. You know, when it comes to revival, awakening, discipleship, here's something I've learned, and especially in the workplace, as you're out there right now in your mission field, as you're listening right now as a manager, as a CEO, uh, whatever you're doing there um, in your cubicle, per se, I'll tell you this, you have a mission field. God has given you a unique gifting to be where he's planted you to make a difference for his glory. But here's what I've learned. This, the, this doesn't happen by accident, does it, Bob? No, it doesn't. Not at all. I'll tell you what, we have to be intentional. We have to be urgent. We got to be desperate for a move of the spirit. And I believe, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe one of the missing elements that we see in churches and businesses day that are run by Christian folks is simply this, the lost art, if you will, the lost concept of discipleship. I agree, John. We have to really focus on discipleship and building disciples And it's something we need to do in our churches, of course. But also, if you're a Christian business owner, business CEO, you have an opportunity through the way you talk, the way you behave, and the way you treat others to spread the word and also to help create and build more disciples. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know, I was thinking and, and reading here recently, Bob, I'm just studying discipleship. It's one of my passions. Uh, I wrote a four-part curriculum series that I go teach in churches called Unlocking Intentional Biblical Discipleship. And one thing I began to learn as I was studying just the scripture, uh, outside resources are great, as you know, but I just began to study just the scripture, Bob. And here's what I began to see very clearly regarding discipleship. It's not an option, for the true Christian. Thoughts? I agree totally. Uh, If you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you want to promote and build the gospel, discipleship has to be part of your life. Uh, I not only disciple in the workplace, but I also disciple my church at Celebration Community Church, uh, leading men's ministry and starting a discipleship class this September. Tell us a little bit about uh, the men's ministry there at your church and how that discipleship plays into that. Uh, We just were a young program, if you will. We just got the men's ministry rolling this year, but we're doing things like building fellowship. Mm. We've done the traditional things like a men's barbecue. (laughs) Got to have the barbecue. Got to have the barbecue. Holy Spirit hovers over barbecue sauce. That's what I've learned. (laughs) Holy Spirit loves barbecue sauce. And also we've started a monthly men's breakfast, Mm, which is strictly fellowship. And then I recently completed training seven men to be mentors. Oh, praise God. And now we're looking for the mentees, if you will, to assign to each mentor. (laughs) And then this fall, we'll start the discipleship class. So it sounds like you got some Pauls and you're looking for some Timothys. That's right. (laughs) Give me the Timothys. We're ready. Amen. Well, I love it because, again, you know, we we study uh, Matthew 28 to verses 16 through 20. And and I love that text, Bob, because Jesus comes swinging out of the gate. I mean, he is not mincing words here. He bookends that glorious text. We call it the Great Commission. Unfortunately, many times in my travels, it's been regulated to the Great Suggestion. And yet we know, as we just said, that God did not, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to save you so you could just uh, attain the American dream. No, I want to save you and redeem you to use you for such a time as this to redeem the time. And I love that text there, Matthew 28, because it's bookended by two glorious 
heavyweight bookends by Jesus. Number one, he says this, all authority has been given to me. Man, that tells me that we operate from victory, not for victory. We rest in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, man, when, when he's the one leading the charge, man, we know the victory is sure. But secondly, you come out on the other end of that, go ye therefore, make disciples, baptize, teach. And on the very end, that last book, and he says this, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I don't know about you, brother. Man, that fires me up and encourages me. And keep in mind, as you read that, the word is go. Hmm. It's not optional. It hmm. doesn't say, hey, if you got a chance, would you do this? Or <laughs> do you have a couple minutes? It's go. It's. Uh, I recently read Packer's book on keep uh, walk with the spirit. Yes. There's a little quick quote in there. It says like this, trust God and get going. <laughs> I love and it. I love that. It, it's one of the reasons I'm heading up Convene is I'm trusting him and I'm going and going to do it. Mm. God gives us a challenge many times and he's there. If we trust him, mm. he'll work with us, but mm. he expects us to step up to the plate and mm. take the swing. Ooh, now you're preaching, brother. I'll tell you what, when you were talking, I was thinking of the children of Israel, the kids of Israel. And, and God said, look, I'm going to give you this land, but we forget even though he was going to give it, they still had to take action. And so many times, I think in the Christian walk, it's easy to neglect that. Yeah, far too often we sit back and we just accept things and say, okay, that's nice. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you believe that, won't you behave that way? Ooh, that's good. If you believe it, behave it and live it. Ooh, I like that. That's tweetable there, brother. Okay. <laughs> I like that, man. What we'll the tweet that went out. That's awesome. I'll tell you what, we're just excited about what God is doing. Uh, I believe God is working as he connects dots. And we talked about that the other day, how God just takes people in his time and he connects people together uh, for his purposes, for his glory. I almost picture him, Bob, as a almost like the chessboard. And there he is, the master chess master, taking each person, connecting them for his praise and for his glory. I'll tell you what, we got much more to come. This is so exciting on this program. Again, uh, John Couch, This Day Ministry, sitting in for Jim and Martha as they take some great time off, well-deserved time off. But we want you uh, to come swinging out of the gate, if you will, learning to know from this program that discipleship is not optional, that God has called you in. In the workplace, yes, where you are right now, to go and make a difference for his praise, for his glory, as you truly just be Christ-exalting, God-centered, Bible-driven, and prayer-saturated in all you do. John Couch, This Day Ministries, standing in for great Jim and marvelous Martha. I work for him. We're having a great time with you today. Great music. I love the music, Bob. This is yeah. incredible. Man, if you're out there right now listening, and I pray there's many listening, get on that desk right now and stand up for Jesus. Man, praise the Lord. Hands in the air. All you in your cubicles right now, hands in the air. Jesus reigns. Amen? I'll tell you what, we're excited, and this is just a wonderful day uh, to praise our Lord as we exalt his name and as we unpack this concept, Bob, of discipleship. You know, during the break there, we were talking and thinking about what does it look like, Bob, especially in your experience? you got vast business experience. What does discipleship in the workplace look like, taking into consideration possibly having a Christian CEO, but possibly not having a Christian CEO? What does that look like for that person listening right now that wants discipleship in the workplace? 
if you're a Christian CEO or a Christian business owner or company president, you can, by the way you treat your employees, be providing discipleship. Hmm. If you're a Christian, that means you treat your employees the right way. Mm -hmm. You care for them and you are not above them, you are with them. Mm. If you're in a company that does not have a Christian owner, you can do things by asking them. And a lot of times they'll go along with this. You Hmm. can do Bible studies at work Mm -hmm. if you do it before, after, or at lunch. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot more than people realize. Okay. And it's very effective. Awesome. Also, if you haven't read Wayne Gruden's book, Glory, business for the glory of God. Mm. If you're a Christian business person, you need to read that book. Because okay. in there, he lays out a real good program of 11 different points dealing with profitability at, and employee relationships and how it works for a Christian and how business is God's creation, Amen as that. is everything. Amen to that. You know, you hit on a really key point that I was just thinking of as you were talking, and that was this, that as we go into the workplace, as you go into the workplace, as you disciple, I go into the workplace, lead some discipleship groups. I've learned exactly what you're talking about. The employees that are digging into God's word, that are feasting on God's word on a regular basis, the employees that are in fellowship with other believers of like mind, the employees that understand that um, to truly be a disciple, I got to deny myself and I got to think of my coworker before myself and my agenda. Here's what I've learned as we pour God's word into those employees, their home lives begin to be transformed. There's joy, there's happiness, there's contentment. And here's what I've learned, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. Once the home life gets stabilized, guess what happens to their work performance in the workplace? It goes up. Absolutely. And so it truly is a win-win. You mentioned something else that really struck a nerve. You know, so many times as a CEO, uh, the CEO imagery can be portrayed as, hey, give me my coffee. Uh, Go take my bags on the, you know, on the uh, company trip. You know, we're going to tape you to the goalpost, you know, because you're the the freshman that's, uh, you know, coming to the company, so to speak. That's not Jesus's model of being a CEO, is it? No, not at all. In fact, what we call it now in business is servant leadership. Mm. Uh, There's a new book out uh, by Ken Blanchard, and it's Mm. actually uh, a book that he put together that has writings about servant leadership by, I think, about 15 different authors. Mm. And in there, and that's something that creates a vehicle for us Christians to bring faith into the workplace, mm-hmm. are books like that servant leadership, which is actually in the secular world. Awesome. But we can use it as a springboard because if you're really a servant leader, that tells you how you're going to behave and how you're going to treat people. Mm. You know, servant leadership, I love that concept, those two words put together. Every time I hear it, I think of John 13. That always I think of John 13 and I picture, you know, picture right now for you that are listening, you there at the workplace, picture right now, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there he is in that setting and he has the basin of water and a a towel and he, he gets low. This is King Jesus. This is the name that is above every name. And he takes a basin of water and a towel and of course, this wasn't like, you know, they were walking on, on pavement and sidewalks back in that day. It's dusty. It's dirty. Wearing sandals, perhaps. You can imagine how stinky and dirty the feet got, just to be blunt, right? And yet here's the king who's bending down 
and he's washing the feet. Man, that will preach a sermon, won't it, Bob? It will. And you also have to remember how Peter reacted. Mm. You know, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus let him know quickly why he was washing his feet. I love that. I'm so glad you brought that in. Peter goes, of course, prideful Peter, like we all have some pride in us from time to time, of course. Uh, Peter goes, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, right? And then once he gets it explained to him, I love it. He's basically like, give me a bath. Give me a bath. Just bring it on. Bring it on. What what a glorious, what a glorious concept thinking of when our eyes are open to truth, like Peter's were open to truth, how we begin to see the truth for what it is. I was thinking as well as a pilot and a pilot is standing in front of Jesus there as he's journeying towards the cross, of course, right before that. And Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? The question he should have asked was, who is truth? Because the truth was standing in front of Kim. And it just reminds me that even for us out in the workplace that, you know, we're battling some great discouragement at times out there. You may be the only Christian right now who's listening at your company and you're, you've tuned into this by God's sovereign plan. I pray you're greatly encouraged and strengthened, but maybe you're discouraged right now. Uh, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Uh, Jesus is with you. Remember our two bookends. All authority has been given to Jesus, and lo, he will be with you even to the end of the age. Rest in that hope. You know, even on the way over here today, Bob, I was thinking about this concept that really, really stirred in my heart. Because I think one of the challenges that we face in business, in church life, whether it be discipleship, whether it be just getting through the day that can be so taxing, um, so pressure packed and filled, is we can choose fear over faith and we can become greatly discouraged. And I began to process that. And I thought on the way over here, I thought, you know, when I allow Satan into my mind, when I allow him in, that's when I unwittingly give him the keys to my joy. When I allow him into my mind to begin to play around in that playground of my mind, that battlefield, if you will, of the mind, that's when I give him the keys to my joy. Talk about joy in relationship to discipleship. Do those two go together? What are your thoughts? You can't have joy and discipleship separately. Hmm. There's a great joy when you help disciple another person to make an impact on their life. And Amen. they experience the joy of having had you mentor them to disciple them, to teach them. Discipling is teaching and help them see the light. Amen. And then they share the light with others. That's how we're trying to do it in the workplace now is almost one person at a time mm -hmm. uh, and then groups of people. And by getting people together and having leaders mm -hmm. who understand it's service above self, mm, it's I serving like that. others. Oh, I like that. Service above self. And that's not easy in the flesh, is it? I don't know about you, but like, you know, uh, most people like wherever you're living today, if you have a hospital like uh, in your city, I'm assuming you have hospitals in your cities and they typically have a maternity ward. And so as the baby uh, comes forth. They typically, at least in my experience, don't have a side room. There's typically not a side room that above the door there in that side room says uh, how to be selfish. 
and then they wheel the child in there, right? Uh, we're going to teach little Johnny and uh, little Susie on how to be selfish. So let's take them in there. That doesn't happen. I mean, we come out kicking and screaming because we want the world to revolve around us. And then we take it through life. We get through the, the toddler age and running up through elementary school, etc. Even in the toddler age, you think about the old Tonka trucks that used to be metal. Now they're plastic. But remember those days and, you know, you'd have one axle and the other kid in the sandbox would have the other axle. And there's one four letter word going back and forth as you're doing the tug of war. Mine, mine, mine. So difficult. Yet we must get past that in order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. How does selfishness play into discipleship? If you are selfish, you cannot be someone who disciples others. You have to expose yourself to them. Mm. You have to share your innermost feelings with them, and they need to share them with you so that both of you can grow together. Hmm. And so if I'm hearing you right, and I, is this discipleship thing a two-way street between the Paul and the Timothy? Is the Paul actually learning as well? Yes. Hmm. Think about it for a minute. If you have to teach somebody something, you have to prepare. Mm -hmm. And as the teacher, you are learning also. Years ago, we were in a church in Oklahoma City. We did kids under construction. Mm. I'm still a kid under construction. (laughs) I love it, brother. Hey, we got a great producer with the last name Miracle. I'll tell you what, this program's got to be a miracle with, uh, with myself at the helm. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, we're excited, though. What a blessing. And uh, Bob and I were talking a little bit uh, on the break there about how does selfishness slash selflessness play in to discipleship? You know, I was thinking of a few scriptures that came to my mind, Bob. Of course, we often think of Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives. You know, you look all through scripture. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, hey, you, 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 listen up, listen up. If you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. Jesus, of course, emptied himself, went to that cross and during the despising and the shame. And so how does that person, Bob, today, right now listening to this program, how does that person coexist in a secular business culture, which typically, at least in my experience, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, typically promotes a you trample on whoever you have to to get to the top. Uh, you get to that corner office with your name on the door. Uh, you, you, uh, you, 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 me, 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 me. How do they navigate just through that alone? But how do they then begin to disciple and be discipled? And how does all that play into this discipleship component in the workplace? Well, John, the good news is that's happening less now than it did 20 years ago, but it's still there. And if you are working in any position, any role in a company, you need to do the best you can do and stop and acknowledge that you are working for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have your employer that pays your salary or your hourly wages, but the bottom line is you're working for the Lord. And so if I'm sweeping floors, I'm going to sweep them the best I can as a model because I love Jesus. If I am supervising people, I'm going to care for them like Jesus cares for them. Mm. And if we can get that mindset, and you can build that in a company that's not led by Christians by being a Christian in that company and an example for others. 
I always challenge people. I was asked the other day, they said, person said to me, Bob, he pointed to the Bible. Between those two covers, what's your favorite verse? And I said, all of them. (laughs) And and he looked at me sort of funny. And I said, but I have a very favorite passage. It's called Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Amen. And that particular passage is one, if you're a Christian listening to this and you want to know how to behave in the workplace, read that and study it and get to know it. Amen to that. Amen. You know, it is such an interesting culture that we're in. Years and years ago, they had those things called blue laws. Uh, I don't know if you remember those or not. Uh, Those were several years ago. Yeah, but I was around a long time ago. I'm pre-fax. <laughs> pre-fax. Yeah, I'm pre-cell phone. <laughs> I'm pre-computer. Oh, my goodness. Wow, wow. To tell everyone, blue law, in a nutshell, what was a blue law? Well, they used to call them the Sunday law. Sunday law, okay. Yeah, because the blue law is everything was closed on Sunday, hmm. uh, except every town would have, or if they didn't have a pharmacy, the closest pharmacy, one would remain open within distance for people. But everything else closed. Um, I was a young person at the time when that took place. And I can remember the change. Uh, I miss that. You know, look how far the pendulum has swung. You know, when I hear you describe the blue law, here's what I hear. I hear church, God, his glory, his praise is dictating to the culture what the culture will do. And boy, how things have flip-flopped. How now the culture is so pressing in on us as believers in our churches, in our Christian businesses, and begin to attempt to try to tell us what to do. I spent many years in my career as a public school administrator, (laughs) being a high school principal and a superintendent of schools. And back when I did that, we had Wednesday night, we did not have any school activities, nothing. (laughs) That was family night and church night wow. and we adhered to that and we didn't schedule things on Sundays. Hmm. Ball diamonds were <laughs> quiet on Sundays. Hmm. Soccer fields were quiet on Sundays. Hmm. I don't know why we can't go back to that. You know, you're, you're hitting hard now. I think we're really getting down to the nugget here because the commonality that I hear from people professing believers on why they can't quote unquote can't disciple nor can't be discipled is that T-I-M-E word called time. And I think that when we begin to understand that we are bought with the most precious blood, our life is no longer our own. Our time is no longer our own as well. And I think for the true disciple in Jesus Christ, as he really invades your heart, as he comes into your life and just wrecks your life in a glorious way, in a good way, as you are no longer on the scene, you kind of picture Bob, the old man, the old Bob, the new Bob, the old John, the new John. It's amazing how we just come freely to God. You know, I think often, Bob, of the illustration of uh, coming to God with our, our fists clenched. And even right now, I'm clenching both fists. And you know what I've learned about this, Bob, is that when I clench my fists and I'm hanging on, all right, God, I'm coming to you joyfully. (laughs) God, I'm going to give you everything I got. You know what I've learned, though? I've learned that when my fists are closed, he can't put anything in my palm. But when I freely say, God, here, take it, my time, 
uh, whatever you've blessed me with materially, my life, whatever it is, Romans 12, it's a living sacrifice to you. I've, I've learned over the years that as I do that and I let go and let God, that's when the true joy comes in. Time is uh, something that people don't understand because they always say, oh, I don't have time for that. Hmm. I can't make that meeting. I can't make that men's ministry event. I just don't have time. Hmm. Wrong. <laughs> you have time for whatever you want to do. Amen, brother. And you need to learn in the workplace and in your home life, budget your time mm -hmm. and don't get so consumed with things. You don't take time to rest mm -hmm. in this world today. We're running so hard and so fast and people aren't resting and they need to take time to rest in prayer, rest in the scriptures, mm -hmm. rest with the Holy Spirit. The yes. Holy Spirit is in you Amen. and he is there to be called upon walk with him and grow with him and oh, help others man. do that by being a disciple. Amen. Oh man, that uh, we could unpack that for an hour, brother, but that was so rich because uh, you're right. We, we have the time. It's what we do with it. And here's what I've learned. We directly do with our time in proportion to who we understand owns our time. Uh, there's kind of that old phrase, you do what you want to do. And I'm guilty of that. You know, if I want to really do something, I will crawl over glass to go do it. Now, like cutting the grass, you know, or, or trimming the palm tree or whatever that might be, I got to go rearrange the sock drawer. You know, that becomes my new thing I got to do because I don't want to do it. I think that's another element of discipleship is that when we become a true disciple, yes, we're being sanctified and we're all at different stages of the process. It's ongoing change. But wouldn't you agree that for a true disciple of Jesus Christ, that it's impossible to encounter Jesus truly and not be changed? Absolutely. There's no way. If you encounter Jesus, you will be changed. Hmm. And he gives all his time for us. Hmm. And we give time for him. Hmm. I remember, <laughs> it's a, maybe a funny antidote, but. Years ago, a long time ago, uh, I said to my father, and we went to church every Sunday. I grew up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. And I said to dad, I said, you know, I don't think I want to go to church today. Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And I looked at him, I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, you can make that decision. But if you don't have time for Jesus today, will he have time for you tomorrow? Ooh. I went to church that day. That was, I think, the first mic drop in history. Your dad dropping the mic on you. That, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. But that speaks volumes. I mean, that is so true that, you know, Jesus, he died for us. You know, I hear people on occasion say, I wish Jesus would do something for me. And I just kind of sit there and, you know, you pause, of course, because the righteous anger, you know, is building up and the blood vessels are about ready to burst. And you're like, let me get this straight. You want Jesus to do something for you. Is that right? And they kind of shake their head. Yeah, I hope he does something for me. Let me get this straight. You, and now they're kind of getting a little confused because like we're repeating the same conversation over and over. And they're like, where's this guy going with this? You want Jesus to do something for you. And they're kind of like, 
okay, this must be a trick question. Do I shake my head? Yes, no. Or do I just kind of do it in circles? You know, so I'm kind of in between. (laughs) Jesus died for us and he freed us, Bob, from the enemy of self. He did the one thing that you and I could never do. Is it really going to be a cost to just give everything back to him? Sure. In this life, there's going to be a cost. There's a cost to discipleship. But I think it was Bonhoeffer that said Christianity uh, without Christ or discipleship without Christ is not Christianity. Christianity without Christ is not true Christianity. And you think of that concept, how important discipleship is. It is not an option. We have to be intentional. We have to be urgent. We can't sit back and just hope this thing magically works out. And the example you gave is excellent because when a person responds like you described, we don't get angry. We don't get loud. We Mm. respond with a question Mm. and cause them to think and follow it up with another question. Mm. Uh, We teach our CEOs and business owners and presidents to do that. And that's how we work with them. And always remember, behave as Jesus behaved. He's your role model. Uh, when we talk about mentoring and coaching, Jesus was the very first true mentor. Think of how he mentored those disciples. Mm. And I always think, <laughs> what was it like to have been one of them? Oh, I'll tell you, you made me chuckle because I was picturing Jesus mentoring the disciples and of course, uh, Peter, James, and John, really the inner three. And, you know, they were knuckleheads so many times, <laughs> just like I'm a knucklehead. And you just wonder if Jesus just ever just got exasperated with them. <laughs> just thinking, what is wrong with you guys? No, he was so loving, so patient. And yes, there were times that he got firm with them, of course. But ultimately, he knew his goal was to go to the cross. Loving being here with you. We're having a ball. God is good. God is good, just not when he goes our way. God is good all the time, just because it's the goodness of his nature, his immutable, unchangeable nature. God is good. And so we are fired up. It's exciting to be here, as I mentioned earlier. And I was just thinking this, Bob, you know, the mission of the church, the mission of Christians, I think that gets so convoluted at times, but this discipleship component just continues to resonate in my mind, thinking of the mission of the church being to glorify God and make disciples. My mission, your mission, to glorify God and make disciples. It's almost that simple. And as I began to process and unpack that, the thought of having a personal mission statement continues to come to my mind. What is your thought on having a personal mission statement regarding being a disciple and also making disciples? It's mandatory. Hmm. Uh, For example, over the years in my work in human resources, I've interviewed over 5,000 different leaders. Wow. And one question I always ask them is this, what is, John, what (laughs) is your driving purpose? Hmm. And I want people to be sure they understand what drives them. Mm -hmm. What is that single thing? And if you're a Christian, the answer is Jesus is my driving purpose because it all revolves around him. Uh, Pastor Greg Heinch at our church celebration has been doing a series called Living the New Life. Hmm. And this past Sunday, he talked about from Romans 14, 7 through 9, everything we have belongs to the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's just on loan to us. It's just on loan. 
Amen. And that's hard in our American culture uh, because, again, all week long we're inundated with it's all about me, 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 me. And then you show up at church on a Sunday morning and Pastor Greg says, "Um, I got news for you. It's not about you. Uh, Your stuff is not your stuff. It's all on loan. Uh, Talk to us about how we in the workplace defrag our hard drives, our minds from that ideology, especially in the workplace. It's one thing in the church. You're sitting in church or with like minded believers. Pastor Greg's bringing the word and bringing it well. And you're fired up. You are juiced. You are ready to go. And you go back on Monday morning to the workplace you don't like. You're there and you're trying to remember, hey, it's not about me. But wait a minute. You know, I kind of like having all this stuff. It's mine. It's yours on loan. Mm. You, you're renting it. It's not <laughs> yours. Um, I was working with a company and helping them, a small company, uh, put together their mission, vision, purpose as a company, as individuals. We also talked about their core values and put those together. And then we worked on operating principles. Mm-hmm. How will we mm-hmm. behave in this company? Yes. And the two owners, husband and wife, are Christians, believers. Mm-hmm. And as we were wrapping up that segment of our work, I said to them, I said, you know, you've had a great 10 years in business. You've done a great job for the owner of this company. (laughs) And they both looked at me and they said, "Uh, Bob, we're the owners. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, "Um, if I understood right, you're believers, you're Christians. Oh, yeah. Then this isn't your company. It's God's. Mm. They looked at me and they said, you're right. And they said, we're going to remember that. That is good. And we're going to work as if we really believe that. Let's expand this a little more. You got me really thinking now. When you were talking, the thought of personal comfort came into my mind. Now, we live in America. The poorest of us lives like kings compared to the rest of the world. And yet here we are. And, you know, if if we get stuck on Dale Mabry, you know, Friday at five o'clock, you're on Dale Mabry you're better to lose your salvation. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're like borderline becoming an atheist, you know, because we think that's persecution. I mean, that that's on our mind when our schedule, our time gets disrupted, our comfort. Man, those are fighting words of the flesh. And we kind of equate that with, well, I hear about the persecuted church and all that's going on over there. And I'm being persecuted, too. Really? We're not being persecuted. Matter of fact, I would argue this, that persecution isn't killing the American church. It's a me-centered comfort, a me-centered comfort that the autopsy will reveal was the fatal poison. What do you think? Well, it's almost like the old quote, we've met the enemy and it's us. Hmm. Well, the enemy is the evil one and Satan, of course. Mm -hmm. But once he gets inside your head, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. it is you Mm -hmm. and you need to do everything you can to keep him out. And you do that by focusing on Jesus. That's right. If you keep your focus on Jesus, keep your focus on the cross. If you're stuck in that traffic and I travel I-4 quite a bit. (laughs) I'll pray um, for you, brother. Oh, please. (laughs) I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It had the four emblem and on there underneath it said, I hate four. Uh, I've lived Where in, do you get those? <laughs> I don't know. I Let's like order in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I spent 17 years in Southern California. I understand oh, traffic. Yeah. But when you're in traffic, play the right radio stations mm-hmm. like I work for him. Amen. Uh, Amen. Play the right kind of music. Yes. And use that time as a prayerful time. Redeem it. Yeah. Take it and say, okay, so I'm in this place now. What can I do to make it a better place? Love it. Uh, I work in this company. 
Uh, what can I do to make it a better place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want you to go out there and proselytize everybody in the company, but I want you to set the role model. Mm-hmm. I want you to demonstrate through your actions yes. how you're a loving person and how you are Jesus now. You might be the only Jesus they see today. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know, thinking about the concept of, of the selfish comfort, if you will, and denying self and, and getting out of the way. I always think about this one thought that it should be every believer's ambition to die empty of self. Not so easy to do, though, is not it? Even inside the church house. No, it's not easy at all. And I'm like you. I struggle with that. Hmm. I, like you, I struggle with pride. Mm-hmm. And we have to work hard to shove those things down. Yes. But we do that by keeping our focus on the cross. I love that. I, when you said that again that second time, that disturbed the thought of of Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. And now through that obedience, he's at the right hand of the Father. And so many times, I think we forget verse number three. It says, consider him Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. I think so many times we open that door of our minds to Satan and he gets in there. And before we know it, we've exchanged faith for fear And now he's in there playing around inside our mind and planting all kinds of landmines. And we just got to stay focused on the cross because the cross really is a great representation of how irreparable on our own we are. I mean, that's a beautiful symbol of Bob and John. uh, You can't free yourselves from yourselves. Like you can try to be perfect. You can try to succeed in this life. You can be the best business owner, the best employee. But at the end of the day, Jesus said these potent, exclusive words. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm not an English teacher, but I think the, the is a definite article. He didn't say I'm a way, a truth, a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'll tell you what, just reading that, hearing it, meditating on it, internalizing it, that wars against the flesh. But as you said earlier, it's impossible to be a true disciple of Jesus in the workplace, at church, at home, unless we've truly abandoned everything for his glory. When you are angry at someone, and it might be a coworker, Mm -hmm. there are times you have to be humble and Mm -hmm. forgive. Amen. Always remember this, Jesus is hanging on the tree, Hmm. suffering beyond what we can ever imagine. And what did he say? Hmm. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen. Forgiveness is part of your life as a Christian. And in the workplace, if you practice that, it'll be a happier workplace Hmm. filled with more joy. Amen. It's amazing how the circle works, isn't it? That we uh, we forgive, we humble ourselves. We talked about humility. We've talked about forgiveness, the opposite of bitterness and resentfulness. Uh, we've talked about unwittingly and subconsciously through all of this repentance. But repentance, in order to repent, I got to be humble. And so, so much of all of this goes back to that mind, that heart that says it's no longer me, but it's Christ. 
you know, we have about a minute left here. Tell us real quickly, if you want, if you would here for just a moment, uh, you got a great talent with some abstract art. <laughs> would you give the folks your website so that we could just direct them? Let me tell you, this is glorious, inspired by the Holy Spirit artwork. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but can you give them the website as he gives this away many times where he goes and just sends it out to the highways and byways? Give them the website. They can go and view this great artwork. Uh, the website is www.adonaiartdesigns.com. Mm. Adonai is a Jewish word, Hebrew word for the Lord. Amen. And so my artwork is the Lord's artwork. Love it. It's not mine. It's inspired. Mm. It's abstract. It's all based on scripture. Beautiful. Well, Jim always says it's the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. He was right. It was a joy to be with you today. John Couch, This Day Ministries. Check us out at www.thisdayministries.org. Thisdayministries.org. Appreciate you. Love you. Go live for Jesus. Who do you work for? I know this. I work for him. <laughs>